0: Really validating their symptoms and making sure that they feel believed for their symptoms, even if you can't necessarily help them, that you know that they're not making this up. They're not going to come to an ER to say, oh, I I have a headache and I I want some basic medications. They're, They're really suffering at that point if they've made that journey, and that journey probably took a lot out of them.
1: This is in the ED now, the podcast that makes you an excellent emergency department physical therapist. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Griffith, the ED DPT. I'm so excited about our episode today. One of the number one reasons that people come into the emergency department are for headaches. So today we're going to talk to Sam Kalicatis about the headache PT, about migraine in the emergency department. Did you know that as a physical therapist in the emergency department, you can help patients who are experiencing a migraine attack? I didn't know that. I always know that when they come in, I feel like they're. not much I can do to help. But now, thanks to this episode, you'll know how to make sure patients are not having any red flag issues. You'll know how to advocate for getting those patients the imaging or the follow-up care that they need. You'll understand different ways that you can intervene immediately in the emergency department for a patient having headache disorders, specifically migraine, and then how to get patients with headache and migraine disorders, the follow-up care that they need. So I hope you'll listen to this excellent episode with Sam. Hi everybody, welcome back. We are in the ED now with Sam Kelakadis, welcome.
0: Hi Rebecca, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm
1: fine, it's so nice to have you. So I think most people know you on Twitter as the headache guy. Yes. So can you tell me your story? Like how did you become a PT that works exclusively with headache?
0: Yeah, so during that pandemic I wanted to start doing, I decided I wanted to open my own little like side practice. So I started seeing some friends and family um, and several people had like neck pain and headache and uh, like tension headache cervicogenic headache and migraine and as I was like reading up on how to like properly treat these people and address their their problems and help them reach the goals they wanted I started seeing that there was a huge deficit in providers in the US for headache disorders mm. so that I started transitioning my you know general side practice into a headache specific practice That's
1: amazing and, and I'll tell you as somebody who works in the emergency department, so many people come into the emergency department with, with headache. So, and, yeah. and for me, it's like, is that somebody I can help? So I always look at those patients and and kind of see like, is there anything I can do? But generally what I hear from the physicians is no, they have a migraine or they have a tension headache. And sometimes they'll involve me. Um, but often not. And I'm feeling like there's probably a lot more that we could be doing to help these patients. And I know your mission is to help 10,000 people with migraine and other headache disorders, yes? Yes. How can you help us help achieve that mission in the emergency department?
0: Yeah, so I think PTs can definitely help um, patients with migraine or tension headache or other type of headache disorder, whether it be cervicogenic, which is the secondary cause. You know, at least screening them, seeing if, you know, wait, do, does the physician need to come in? Do we need imaging? Do, you know, where do I need to refer this patient to? Or can we determine that this is a, you know, this is migraine or this is tension headache. And here's what we can do to treat it right now. And then here's what you should do after you leave here today.
1: Perfect. Tell us how to do that. Like, so if I have a patient who comes in with migraine, because that's very common, typically my experience is that they, they don't get imaging and that they'll be sent to a room for a migraine cocktail and then discharged. How can we yes. level up?
0: Yeah. So one, especially so if somebody with migraine, the history of it is coming in, they're coming in for, usually they don't want to come in because a, an ER is not a great place for someone with migraine. It's very overstimulating. Bright lights, loud noises, a lot of visual uh, things going on. So if they're coming in, they've been in pain for a long period of time and their normal treatments are no longer working for them with this current attack or flare or or episode, depending on what they want to call it. So different things that we want to do. One, we want to rule out that it's not a change in their current migraine headache or migraine presentation because they can have other disorders. Like somebody with migraine can also still have stroke, they still have heart attack and still have mm-hmm. a neoplasm that causes them to have a headache. So we need to screen them for, is this change in headache worthy of getting additional imaging to rule out other conditions, right?
1: And I've had that happen. I've had a patient who was sitting in the waiting room waiting to get that migraine cocktail, but like started deteriorating. Like lots of abnormal vomiting, lots of visual changes. And, and the key I think was that was not normal for that patient. And so yes. they did undergo imaging and had a cerebral arachnoid hemorrhage. So how do, we, how do we make sure that we're not missing that and just discounting yeah, so, it as migraine?
0: Yeah. So the, in, there is a, um, a series of questions you can ask that have been specifically designed to help people in primary care settings determine secondary headache versus primary headache and what they need to do to follow up for that. So it's, okay. that specific guide is called SNOOP10. So S-N-N-O-O-P-10. And it's a series of questions to rule in or rule out those kind of secondary headaches, whether it's stroke, tumor, infection, um, a new neoplasm, um, or just some type of like change. So I'll just go over what SNOOP stands for, but there's more questions to ask or kind of go into a history of what's going on. But so SNOOP stands for uh, systemic symptoms. So like are they having a fever or have they been having a lot of weight loss? Um, have they had a history of cancer before is the first N. So neoplasm mm. history. Second N is neurological signs or symptoms. So for somebody okay. with migraine, well, it's a neurological condition, isn't going to show those normal, like abnormal neurological signs that you would see for somebody that is going through a neurovascular event. Okay. Right. Um, except in rare cases where they may have what's called hemiplegic migraine, which is a stroke which looks like a stroke for some people and if the first time they have it is a very scary event for that person but it's just a it's what's called an, an aura so auras come in many different shapes and sizes and we can talk about that later okay. um the first o is onset is sudden so normally for most people with headache whether it's tension headache or migraine it's a slow build up to that maximal pain intensity but yes. if this pain is onset is very sudden mm-hmm. That is a big red flag for a more serious type of headache disorder, whether it's a a thunderclap headache or a cluster headache or a stroke. Those are very serious and and should warrant more follow-up care.
1: Okay. So that like, uh, it just started out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere.
0: Within minutes, it reaches its maximum intensity and stays there. That is is a big red flag.
1: Okay. I find those patients are really like shocked by it. Like I was fine and then I wasn't. Or I was fine, and then I like felt like I had to like drop down because the pain was so intense.
0: Yeah, so that would be called like a thunderclap headache. Okay, and that is a more serious condition. Good to know. Yeah, um, your another one is over the age of fifty. For the most part, uh, people with migraine tend to be under the age of fifty, and it kind of tapers down and becomes less frequent as they get older. It's not a, not the case in all people with migraine, but for some people, if they start getting it and it starts onsetting setting at a later age, there's more concern that that's a red flag for what's going on. If they start developing a headache.
1: Interesting. I did not know that. So you're telling me yeah. that I only have to have migraines for about another nine more years and then I'm all
0: set. <laughs> no, that's not necessarily <laughs> true, but your frequency <laughs> can change as you get older, based on the changes in hormones that we have as we age. Right. Okay. That
1: is excellent information. Okay.
0: What's next? Uh and the last P is pattern change. So that's what we were talking about earlier, where this isn't my normal migraine attack. Something has changed, and that should be evaluated.
1: Okay. Okay. And then one other question I have for you about migraine in general is that we don't say migraines, right? Like migraines yeah. aren't just a type of headache, it's actually a disorder. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So migraine is the disease and or like migraine disease or, or migraine headache. We don't really We're getting away from saying migraine headache because migraine is a neurological condition and it can affect multiple symptoms. And there are people with migraine that don't always get a headache and that's called acephalic migraine where they're absent of the head pain, right? So that's where they're having other other symptoms where they might have brain fog, fatigue. Um, They could also have something called abdominal migraine where it's more GI distress that they're having. There's a lot of stomach pain. That's more common in children, but it can happen in adults as well.
1: Okay. So migraine is actually more of a neurologic condition and not a headache.
0: Yeah. So it's characterized by like a hyper reactivity of the brain to sensory stimuli. So wow. sensitivity to light, sound, and it's triggered by those things. So a lot of people confuse root cause or like the cause of a migraine with what are actually just triggers. So, uh, you know, strong sunlight, changes in stress oh. levels, too much physical activity, not enough sleep. Those are just triggering a a migraine attack from a brain that's already primed to have that condition.
1: That is so interesting. Okay. That is very helpful. The other thing that I feel like I see a lot, and maybe you can speak to this is vestibular migraine or vestibular related symptoms to migraine. And we're asked to see those patients a lot because Mm -hmm. they have vertigo.
0: Yeah.
1: How do we help how do we help diagnose this is migraine versus
0: vertigo yeah so that you really have to look at their symptoms and really do a, a thorough health history for them the vertigo that they're experiencing is part of what's called a migraine aura so it itself is not in its own like different diagnosis or it can come in many different shapes and sizes uh, visual auditory uh, sensory uh, motor and vestibular right that so then so... they start having these different different symptoms based on that aura and about thirty thirty 30 or so percent of people with migraine will have these auras oh so if you're evaluating somebody with vestibular migraine you still need to screen them for other vestibular conditions Correct. that you would do in the ed um and because they do have a higher risk for developing uh 3pd um and bpp bppv mm. is still highly prevalent in those with migraine so we still need to screen that those are not also contributing to their current attack, right? Because if they're overwhelmed from a vestibular standpoint, rather having too much vestibular input that can be triggering their migraine attack.
1: Okay. And so if we have taken a history and done our evaluation, and we feel like something on that Snoop ap- acronym is mm-hmm. a red flag, what do you suggest is the best way to communicate that to the medical team with appropriate urgency and,
0: you know like support behind it yeah i mean the same thing i would do if i was in, in an acute care setting would it, it's been a few years since i was in the acute care setting but i would go to the doctor and, and lay out here's the the red flags that i'm seeing the concerns are for these differential diagnoses and i think it warrants like this imaging or i think you should evaluate the the patient further to see if they need this imaging or this treatment
1: Perfect. Okay. And then once we've kind of ruled out anything scary, what's our next step in differential diagnosis of the type of headache that patient might be experiencing?
0: Um, Are you talking about like differentiating between like migraine and headache, or just like once correct. you kind of yeah. that this is their normal migraine?
1: Uh, either one. So, so if we just stick to migraine, we've, we're mm-hmm. kind of, we're in that normal migraine, but the intensity is worse, correct? Cause they're in the emergency yes, department. So something's mm-hmm. different. Yeah. How, how, how do i help them like what can i do like i'm one physical therapist in an emergency department where they're already suffering what am i gonna how do i add benefit to this person
0: yeah uh so there's a few ways you can do it um something you can do you can do a quick screen of their upper cervical spine specifically you know their c1 2 and 3 to see if those are contributing to the current migraine pain um about like 80 so percent of people with migraine do have concurrent neck pain with their attacks but that doesn't always mean that that neck pain is that that neck pain is due to cervical dysfunction. Some of it can just be the migraine referring pain to the neck through um, through the trigeminal cervical nucleus. So it's kind of being shot out to that side, and they're having that pain. But there are the other way around is that their cervical afferents are stimulating and contributing to that migraine attack. We can actually help them then by doing some manual techniques that would help it would actually intensify the headache at that time, but then reproduce symptoms through that treatment and then bring it down and lower it. It doesn't always resolve their symptoms completely, but it can make it more tolerable. So instead of being a very, very severe level of headache or disability, that it's now more moderate and they can at least try to take medications or try to lay down and at least try to get some relief that way.
1: Are there techniques? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: I was going to say the, The other thing you can do is actually trialing um, a TENS unit application on pen. So they do use, there is enough research out there that shows that for some people, they do benefit from acute and preventative TENS application for their migraine attacks. So you can actually put a device on and try to see if stimulating those trigeminal or occipital nerves can help block their pain response and create relief for them.
1: Okay, because I have a TENS unit in the emergency department. And do you know how many times I've used it? Like zero times. Like zero (laughs) times have I gotten this thing out. But that's also something, like a service we could provide while a patient is getting that migraine cocktail as well, right? Like we may not know at the end was it the medication or the TENS, but if a patient has been seen multiple times in our emergency department, they might be a good Mm -hmm. person to try that out.
0: Yeah, and they might not be a candidate for all those migraine cocktails because of a variety of things going on. Um, especially like a, a, most, the majority of people with migraine tend to be women. But if somebody's coming in and they have migraine and they are pregnant, they might not be able to take medication. So we Correct. need to find some other pharma, some other non-pharmacological technique that can help give them some relief in some way. So that would do be a are, way that we could do that. Do
1: you ever do dry needling for that?
0: I have not done dry needling. There is there is research for dry needling and acupuncture uh-huh. um, techniques to help with some people, but um i've never done that and i'm not certified (laughs) to.
1: fair enough (laughs) maybe don't try then but i'm just wondering too if that's a thing that could possibly be implemented for those pts who do dry needle in the emergency department if if there's research behind that
0: yeah i don't really know the efficacy for uh, acute treatments versus um preventative treatments or or long-term treatments so that was something we could always look into later
1: Okay. I love that. So, so takeaways for how to help the patient immediately. Some cervical spine manual therapy might help those patients. Some TENS might help those patients. Helping them with positioning, would that make a difference? And modulating Um, stimulation?
0: So positioning probably isn't going to help too much. If positioning is changing their headache and making it better, then we run risk of another red flag condition, which would be intracranial hypertension or hypertension. So that would be a concern if if we're having big relief with positional changes, um, that's a red flag.
1: Yeah. And and from a positional perspective, I, I just mean like in the emergency department, everybody is so uncomfortable. Like, can I find a way to support you and get you in a comfortable position so you can try and relax a little bit while you're there? But that is an excellent point because I did have a patient recently who, when she was in supine, had an excruciating headache. And when I sat her up, it was gone. So that was a big red flag. And her history also was I was in the cafeteria. I was fine. I had a sudden onset, horrible headache, thought I was going to pass out, started vomiting. Like the whole thing was kind of a red flag situation. So she did go on to get the imaging and treatment that she needed. But I appreciate you bringing that up. So if we have kind of managed that migraine as best we Mm -hmm. can in the emergency department, how do we refer them to get the appropriate care
0: that they need? Well, so there's one more treatment that I didn't get to. Oh, so using uh, cryotherapy, uh, oh. using like ice packs. So uh, over, usually people wear it across the head, in the band, top of the head, in the back of the neck. Um, there are small, there's one small study that talks about, or I guess it's, it's two small studies. They're, they're relatively low, like less than, I think like 25 patients are in these studies where they're using a net, an application of neck cooling to target the carotid arteries to help with treating migraine as well. And those are, those were ways where like 20 minutes of application has been shown to at least help some people with migraine get out of that attack a little bit faster.
1: How does that work? What's the physiology behind that?
0: Oh, I'd have to read the study again to remember what that is.
1: Yeah, I just don't like, that's fascinating. That never would have occurred to me, like how that, that would even work. But I'm going to try that because that sounds like.
0: I'll, I'll send you the studies for that. So you can, and you can list them on the show notes as well. So like, but they're small studies, they're either preliminary or pilot studies, or feasibility studies to kind of see the application for a much bigger study. Um, but I haven't seen any follow ups yet. So I'm, I can really only go on what the evidence they currently have published is.
1: Well, I, I think that's totally appropriate, but I think also in the emergency department, like we're willing to try anything that's not going to harm the patient, right? If yeah. if if you're going to get IV meds and, and if I can put some cooling on your carotid artery, like that's it's not going to harm you. If that makes yeah. a little bit of a difference, that's another little tool that I can have in my toolkit. So I love that. That sounds like a journal club article to me is
0: what that sounds um, like. We should definitely have a journal club.
1: We should 100% <laughs> yeah. have a journal club. Okay. What's next?
0: Uh. So that that was the last one. So you are just asking like where to refer people next. Yeah. Um, So so they definitely should be referred to a neurologist and probably if they can find one in their area, we refer to a headache specialist. Now there's not a lot of headache specialists in the U S for the amount of people that live with migraine. Like there's probably close to 40 million people in the U S that have migraine. Hmm. um, And that's a lot of people. And I think there's, there's less than I think 2000 um, headache specialists in the us, I forget the exact number right now. I know it's less than 2000, They're like there's not enough, you know, specialists just for headache to go around. So then your neurologist, especially in more rural communities, um, would be the next line of defense to help them find the right treatment for them.
1: Okay. So. And is there, are there abilities for people to access headache care by telehealth?
0: Yes, there is actually. So, uh, there are actually, uh, there is a neurolog- neuro neuro. Neurological group called NeuroHealth, and they are virtual across the United States, and I think they do some international as well. And they okay. could, you know, provide direct um, direct help for those patients that way.
1: Perfect. Okay, so we've got some really good strategies we can use
0: for migraine, mm-hmm. and now- then for vestibular migraine, you could refer them to a vestibular physical therapist. They should be able to help them at least give some type of vestimular rehab that should help limit or mitigate some symptoms. I wouldn't say that it would resolve them, but can make it so they can, you know, handle and tolerate their symptoms better and maybe even decrease the frequency that they get with those.
1: I love that. Okay. That's all very, very helpful information. So next question for you, because I'm fascinated by this. If I've screened my patient, it's not Mm. a migraine. What's next on my decision tree for headache?
0: Um, so then we screen for a tension headache. And then after that, I would say cervicogenic headache is probably not going to be a severe pain that somebody's coming in to a uh, an ER for. Usually those cervicogenic and tension headache tend to be more like of the mild to moderate pain levels. Mm-hmm. Tension headache, if chronic, can become severe. Yes. But that's Not very often. For them, dry needling, manual therapy, rest and relaxation, and appropriate medication management can be useful. Um, But if they're not screening for those three conditions, um, they really would need to be screened by the neurologist on site to to determine what's going on with that headache.
1: Okay. And I find the other population that I see a lot of with headache are patients with post-concussive issues. Mm Mm-hmm. What is the best guidance that I can give somebody after a concussion or a mild traumatic brain injury to help mitigate that headache pain? Are there any like big go-tos that you educate people for?
0: So I don't necessarily treat concussion just because I think the the it's kind of a little bit of not where I'm focusing, where I'm focusing more on sure. migraine. So now we yeah. have post-traumatic migraine. For some people, I can help, but if their symptoms are really severe, I think they're better off seeking help from a, a concussion specialist.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: and there are many physical therapists that do that, and they usually overlap with vestibular therapists, and they're they're probably better equipped to handle their rehabilitation than I am.
1: Oh, that makes sense. That's very helpful too. Those are just the most common things that we see in the emergency department. Migraine, tension, headaches, uh, cervicogenic Mm -hmm. headaches. I do see, and those patients are usually complaining of like chronic pain, chronic headache, chronic neck pain. Um, Mm -hmm. They're really uncomfortable. And today's the day that they just couldn't manage it anymore. So they came to the emergency department.
0: Yeah. So at that point with cervicogenic screening, then the cervical spine, seeing if there's anything you can do on site to do a manual treatment or providing TENS. Um, as an application for that pain management can help them.
1: Now, does that patient need a headache specialist or does that patient need an orthopedic physical therapist? Who do you think is the best person for that patient with either tension headache or cervicogenic headache?
0: For tension headache, it's still a primary disorder. So I would definitely refer them still to a neurologist. Uh, For cervicogenic, uh, you could go either way, I think.
1: Okay, I love that. So tell me what I'm missing. What am I missing about migraine? How do I educate my patients? Because that I feel like if, if I've, I've done my differential diagnosis, I have provided the care that I've, I can provide, I have set them up with proper referral. How do I educate this patient now before they go back out into the world about how to avoid coming to the emergency department, how to manage self care at home? Like what's your, how do you communicate that to your patients?
0: Um, so usually that's over a lot of sessions because it's so in depth for looking into what's called like lifestyle medicine and at that point, you know, educating on oh, sure. proper sleep. Um diet, I only I stay more surface level, but it's usually what's best for most people is making sure they're eating regularly so they're not going into uh times of hypoglycemia, which can be a big trigger mm-hmm. um and dehydration. Those things aren't the cause of the headache. They're just can be triggers that build up over time. And if you're dehydrated and stressed and hungry, because of everything's building up, you can kind of go over that edge into an attack. So educating about what are called migraine triggers and how they build up over time and they cross over this threshold to where attacks can occur. But we can't help them with all of that and necessarily an ED other than giving them a pamphlet. We can refer out to a specialist that does lifestyle medicine on, you know, trying to get them to set up their lifestyle in the best way possible to manage their condition. But even if they eat right, exercise, get the proper sleep, do their stress management, they're still susceptible to migraine attacks because they have a neurological disease. So making sure that they understand that, like, even if you do everything right, you can still have attacks. It doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong and it's not your fault. And I think that goes into like another point, like, talking about the stigma with migraine a lot of people are just like either it's just a headache or there's nothing that we can do to help you and we need to really make mm-hmm. sure that we don't talk to them like that because that actually is doing them harm by not validating the symptoms and condition they have and not really taking it seriously because it's not just a headache it's not just a headache and it's severely disabling for a lot of people i mean people are just like oh it's a headache and I, I went to work all day and it was fine and it's like for some people, it's much more than that. It, there's the brain fog, the nausea, the vomiting, the sensitivity, the light and sound, and the sensitivity to physical activity where they're just not able to physically do anything because that intensifies their pain.
1: Yeah, I think that's very helpful as well. I have a lot of patients who apologize for coming to the emergency department with a migraine. Yeah, they
0: feel like they're a burden. And that's because they're so used to having uh, you know, medical healthcare professionals kind of like Dismiss their symptoms or gaslight them and saying like, there's nothing we can do for you. And while sometimes maybe in the ER, there's not, there are a lot of professionals that can help them in their long-term management of their condition.
1: I think too, one of the things I talk about in the emergency department is that we're there to give patients hope. And I think all of that that you just said is a way that I can help give these patients hope that this is a condition they may have to live with, but it's also a Mm -hmm. condition that with the right care they could thrive with, correct?
0: Correct. Yes.
1: Okay, I love that. So Sam, how can people find you?
0: Uh, So I'm on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. My uh, Twitter and Instagram are at the headache PT. And my YouTube channel is uh, Active Headache Recovery where I kind of really talk about all the different types of non pharmacological ways uh, we can try to manage and, and treat headache conditions.
1: And are you gonna be teaching any courses soon that maybe those of us who need some up training could attend and figure out how to improve our care?
0: I haven't looked into it just yet, but the, the more I talk about it with other PTs and go on other podcasts that are more for the advocacy of migraine, the more I wanna start getting out there, especially for PTs in the US because I don't think there's enough providers that have an adequate knowledge base to successfully treat these people.
1: I agree. And then last question, do you have any resources for patients so do on your youtube channel are there videos for patients on there as well about ways that they can manage their symptoms or do you have a website that people can send patients to so they can learn some self-care strategies
0: yeah so my youtube is really geared all towards um patients and patient education on like what treatments are there obviously other physical therapists can go there and look into the treatments um it's just not going to be delving into like the weeds of you know why does this treatment work and why does it not and what you know how do we think about you know the clinical decision making for what treatments to choose
1: perfect okay so give us give us like one more take home how are we going to make sure that these patients are getting the care that they need like what's your one-liner about about headache
0: i think really validating their symptoms and making sure that they feel believed for their symptoms mm-hmm. even if you can't necessarily help them that you know that they're not making this up. They're not gonna come to an ER to say, oh, I, I have a headache and I, I want some basic medications. They're, they're really suffering at that point if they've made that journey and that journey probably took a lot out of them.
1: Perfect, thank you so much. I appreciate you being on the show and thank you for teaching me so much as a person who also has migraine. Um, I learned a lot personally and so much like clicked into place for me and things that I could do to manage myself better and help other people is very empowering. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, you're welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for listening. In the ED Now is a podcast hosted and produced by Rebecca Griffith, the ED DPT, as part of Rebecca Griffith Physical Therapy, LLC. Our podcast makes you an excellent emergency department physical therapist. This podcast is intended for educational use only and is not intended as clinical or medical advice. While we make every effort for accuracy, factual errors may be present. Since you've been in the ED, I'm prepared to give you your discharge instructions. Please subscribe, share, and find more at theeddpt.com. You're officially discharged.